You are listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast, a podcast that encourages leaders pursuing the Great Commission. Today's show is brought to you by O'Donnell Financial Coaching. O'Donnell Financial Coaching exists to empower you to take control of your finances. Whether you are in debt and don't know where to start, need help creating a budget that works for your family and your life, or even if you have questions about what to do with your wealth and where it should go. Adam, the owner, is a certified master financial coach that can coach you through your financial situation with the experience of someone who has paid off debt and with the knowledge of someone who is building their financial future with budgeting and investing. Adam offers coaching online, which is a quick and convenient way for you to get the help you need. Get in touch with him today to schedule your first session at adamcoachesmoney.com and connect with him on Instagram at adamcoachesmoney. This is episode 12 of the Great Commission Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Withers, and I wanted to thank you for listening in. If you haven't had the chance to listen to episode 11 with Seth York, I encourage you to do so. And today's episode is featuring Greg Gibson. He is the lead pastor at Veritas City Church in Washington, D.C. Greg, thanks so much for coming on today, man. I appreciate it. What's up, Graham? Uh, Glad to be here. Awesome. So if you can just start off, Greg, just by telling us a little bit about you and how you've gotten into the ministry that you're in today. Yeah. So um, married to my wife named Grace. We were married for 11 years. We uh, we have two children. We have an eight-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. Uh, we just started homeschooling last Tuesday because of all of the coronavirus stuff going on. Um, they've been public school kids for the past couple of years. And, and so life changed for us. Uh, we live in the heart of Washington, DC in Northwest DC in the community of Georgetown. Uh, we moved here in 2016 to plant Veritas city church. And in September of 2017, we launched Veritas city church. Um, before that, we uh, lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. We were part of a church plant there for seven years, Foothills Church, and they became our 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 parent church, our sending church. You nice. know, through that, that time. Um, so we we have a close relationship with the North American Mission Board. You know, we are a you know by all accounts a SBC church, a North American Mission Board um, send uh, network church. And so uh, close affiliations there. And uh, we celebrate three years as a church this summer. So That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. So we're really excited about what God is doing um, in Washington, D.C., not just through our church, but through the many church planters and, uh, and relief work that's happening in the city and just honored to be a part of it. That's cool. Uh, what what stood out to Washington, about Washington, D.C. as you all were seeking to – decide on where to, to go plant a church? Yeah. So, I mean, several things. So we, when we were at our, our last post, if we can call it that, um, as we became restless and really felt like God was leading us to the next thing, um, you know, we, we gained, we began to just define our values. So we were just kind of taking, taking our values and writing them down on paper and, and, uh, and, and one of the things that obviously the first place that we wanted to go where and move to was a, a city, um, that had gospel need. Right. And so we mm-hmm. felt like God was calling us to church plant. And at the time, um, you know, the North American mission board had just, an, 
released and launched their Send City Initiative. So, uh, you know, these these cities that were the least church cities in America, and so those were th- those were kind of our 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 pins in the map, as it were, right? Yeah, as we're sure. we're planting this, and and so you know, I'm being I'm a pride to the South. I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, family still there, and so for us, we didn't we didn't necessarily feel like going all the way northeast or all the way northwest or all the way out west was going to be a great fit. Um, I think around the, the mid-Atlantic uh, was was probably where we felt like, okay, there's some, some cultural overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we wanted to go where obviously we felt like our family could flourish. Uh, there's some things about Washington, D.C. that feel like a massive city, right? So six and a half million people in in dc or in the greater dmv but you can't build buildings um bigger than the capitol dome which is is, you know uh something that makes the city feel feel a lot smaller than if you were going to chicago or new york city or la or something like that Hmm. um and so it you know and then another thing is we wanted to go where we felt like we could have a global reach and dc is where the nations gather right Mm -hmm. um I mean, it is a city where, uh, you know, it is every every ethnicity, every nationality, every language is spoken in this city. In many ways, like New York City, just on a kind of a smaller scale. Hmm. And and so we ended up going to uh, a conference here in 2015, and that began to overlap really our prayer life with maybe the Gibsons. Maybe we're called to D.C. as well. Um, we also had some family living here, uh, that we had a brother-in-law or I have a brother-in-law, my wife's brother, who was a student at Georgetown getting a master's degree at the time. So, so that, you know, was another overlap where we were just kind of our hearts being connected to the city, having our hearts connected that way. Um, and then, and then I just, you know, emailed the Sin City missionary and said, Hey, I'm Greg Gibson. I'm interested in learning more about what it means to plant a church in Washington, D.C. And then before I knew it, I was on a plane two weeks later flying up here to meet with the guy. His name is Clint Clifton. Uh, And then, you know, in eight months, we had moved here to plant Veritas City Church. And so we just stepped out in faith. And and, uh, and it it felt like this is exactly where God was calling us to go. Hmm. So you said kind of in the the earlier on that you guys are right in the middle of the city. So Maybe share a little bit about what are some of the the the, the characteristics of, of ministering and in, in, in kind of like a, I guess an urban environment and uh, some of the unique challenges of, of ministry in, in Washington D.C. as well. Yeah, I think some of the unique challenges for our location. I'll just kind of speak to our urban environment. So yeah. Georgetown is the city, um, but Georgetown is a different part of Washington D.C. In many cities you have different flavors, right, of mm-hmm. of different neighborhoods. Uh, that kind of make up the city that that kind of branch off as subcultures and georgetown is very much a subculture in and of itself of of dc and so uh, i think what makes georgetown unique is it is very 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 secular and very 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 affluent Um, Mm -hmm. it's elite secular catholic elite secular jew and georgetown university is one of you know the most secular universities um, you know, in America and it's, it's, it's right in the middle of our community. 
and kind of a, a staple influencer, a cultural influencer of our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so that aspect of it makes it really unique. Um, also, we're trying to do ministry in a place where uh, real estate is really expensive and schools are really terrible, mm-hmm. right? And so we're trying to make a decision, a missional decision. Do we do we send our kids to the public schools, which are some of the worst public schools in America um, right now? And recently they've gotten better because our mayor, uh, Mayor Bowser, has put a lot of emphasis on the education process uh, in D.C. over the last couple of years. But, you know, we're, we're kind of on the fringe there. Or do we, you know, pay $30,000 a year to send one kid to private school, right? And so, obviously, that, that decision is taken out of our hands because we can't afford that. So, we're, we're, in, we're in public school. So, that, that aspect of living in the city like D.C. Um, makes it unique, right? You're, you're trying to come in. You're trying to plant your family. You know, you're, you're paying thousands several thousand dollars for a two bedroom place to rent kind of all smashed into an apartment trying to do ministry in a secular secular you know uh two parent high six figure income homes um who are who are also you know um very educated and uh so that that aspect of georgetown is very different right it's like mm-hmm. georgetown being affluent if you if you shift uh, two miles down the road, it looks very different. You, yeah, there's, yeah. there's some some poverty. There's going to be some you know some food desert things happening. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot more mercy ministry and care and compassion relief and things like that. So that that's our context. That's where mm-hmm. we're at right now. When you think about um, how you you see that context and how you're leading your church for. Uh, to, to reach that the people there and have an evangelistic and outward focus. What are some of the main uh, principles and strategies that you guys uh, put forth to be able to to reach people in that in that context? Yeah, so we've developed kind of a quadrant based approach, right? And so our people live in Georgetown. Our people live uh, across the river in Arlington. Um, and as, you know, as the years pass, so coming up on year three now, fair toss more and more and more of our people are even living within walking distance of our church, which is incredible. Yeah, that's cool. So for us, kind of our, our missional strategy, you know, we've tried everything, man. We've done, we've, we've gone one end of the spectrum to do big events, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we've gone to the other end of the spectrum and, trying to go all missional communities, all missional gatherings and try and run missions through our groups and those types of things. And I think right now we're, we're finding a happy medium. And, uh, you know, so going back to what I mentioned a minute ago, I think for us that quadrant based approach has been important. So we, we talk about how we want people to, whether you live in Georgetown, um, you know, or not to kind of check at least two of the four boxes within the, the quadrant that we've created. Right. So, you know, live, live, work, play triad. Um, but we just threw in another one, which is gather, which is, you know, kind of what we call our, our church gatherings. And so we want, we want our church to either live, work, play, or gather in Georgetown. And so if they're not living or working, we want them third placing, if we could use that terminology a lot in Georgetown. And so, so we're, we're trying to first just get them to think that way. 
right? Think mm-hmm. about intentionality of these quadrants that they live in. Um, secondly, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff that other churches are doing. So we're trying our best to, to train our people in evangelism. So, you know, all our groups now have shifted to kind of more formation based uh, and, and discipleship focus instead of missional uh, component aspects. Mm-hmm. And so in our groups, we're doing a ton of evangelism training. You know, we're going through uh, different ways to share the gospel, whether it's God, man, Christ response or creation, fall, redemption, new creation, or the three circles, you know, that, that the North American mission board has, has put out. Um, and then we're also trying our best to, to do intentional events that build relationships and anchor ourselves into the neighborhood. Right. So, hmm. so what, what we're doing is we're trying to have our head up at all times trying to sniff out spaces that we can step into that make our community better. Right. So we, we don't have that approach. Like we're here to, we're here to make Georgetown awesome, or we're here to make Georgetown better uh, posture. Um, we already think it's awesome, but there are spaces within our community where we could step into, um, you know, that I, that I think that are, that are kind of deserts right now. Right. So, so, so one of those things um, that we've stepped into is um, uh, we have our building where we, we've been in for about two years now to be two years this summer. And it's, it's our building. I mean, it's such a miracle from the Lord that we have this building. It's, it's 5,000 square feet. So it's not massive, but we can fit, you know, a little over a hundred people in there per service. Uh, but it's, it's a first floor retail spot that we've turned into a church, but we are also using it right now. Um, and, and about to launch a coffee shop out of it, a weekday coffee shop, but it's a nonprofit that will provide employment uh, and supportive employment for those coming out of, you know, different marginalized situations. So whether it's homelessness or incarceration or refugee status, single mom stuff, whatever it is. So, so we're trying to step into that space, right? Um, right now we've shifted our efforts to now, instead of launching collective coffee, we we were hoping to did it to collective food. So we've turned the back half of our building into a, a food ministry right now. The community is dropping off food there. And, uh, you know, we're trying to do that in a safe and clean, responsible way where we're cleaning food. We're giving out prepackaged um, food bags daily, you know, to those who might need it in our community, in our area, you know, so we're, we're, we're trying to step into spaces, you know, and, and identifying strategic areas. And so for us, you know, when it comes to missions, those three, those three strategic areas are the elderly, the marginalized and the public schools. Hmm. So, so we're trying to run all of our missions kind of in those three lanes while also doing some of the other things that you got to do as a church, you know, like, teach your people how to share the gospel, uh, mm-hmm. teach your people how to live intentionally, do events that engage the neighborhood and engage the city, uh, use mission teams who want to come to DC well to, 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 you know, to engage the city in different ways. And so, uh, so that, so that was a lot, but that's, you know, that's what we're doing and, and, and we're trying to be faithful to step into spaces that we feel like we can, can really lean into that other people aren't. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it sounds like God's just blessing those efforts to really be able to. I, li- I like the both the, the the 
intentionality of training your people to do those things, but also uh, using the church to be able to do that as well, just having a kind of a both-and approach to, to reaching people. That's kind of like our approach at, at Centerpoint, too. Just, uh, um, you know, we certainly are intentional in, in training our people to share the gospel and making that an expectation, but also giving them those opportunities to, to be able to invite people to, to things and to be able to do creative things to, to really just be able to serve and love the community and hopefully that, uh, you know, the gospel is going to be proclaimed uh, as we as we do those things. Um, yeah, so, man. I think no, that's, no. Can I just say one thing there? Absolutely. I think that yeah. I think you're right on. I think that's one thing I didn't mention. I mean, there, the power of invitation is such a strong thing, right? Just just teaching your people how to invite people into their that are in their life to different things and two different events and two mm-hmm. Sunday morning, right? And so, um, man, I I think. I think that's probably been the biggest source of growth for our church. Even as we're trying to do all these different things, just teaching our people the power of invitation and being bold and inviting them to our Sunday services and into to relationship and into one of those four quadrants with them. Right. And it's just been, that's been a game changer for us. Yeah, so I appreciate you hearing that. It was a great yeah. reminder. Yeah, no, that's great. So when you think about the discipleship aspect of the Great Commission, what does what are some uh, some keys to your all's discipleship strategy that you guys are that you guys are uh, living out right now? Yeah, so so for us, I mean, it's it's based out of our mission statement, right? So Veritas City Church exists to to make disciples um, who live on mission together, right? So if you break that down, every church has a mission statement. But for us, that's just how we're, that's how we're fleshing out the Great Commission in our context. That's good. And so for us, it's, you know, it's, it's three different lanes there, right? Make disciples um, who live on mission. And then that last lane, which would be together, right? And so, so for us, you know, discipleship is, uh, is, 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 is something, you know, that we're, we're, really interweaving throughout everything in the life of our church. Right. So we're, we're trying to, to look at everything that we do through, through that lens. And, uh, and so how we define a disciple at Veritas um, is, is this. So a disciple for us is someone who's committed to following Jesus, someone who's committed uh, to the mission of Jesus and so, which is kind of the great commission and the great commandment. Mm-hmm. And then someone who's committed to being changed by Jesus. Right. So, so those three things are our missional measurements that we're looking at when we say, what does it mean for, you know, uh, this, let's just say John's John Smith comes to Veritas and we're in a unique context, Graham, because, DC where we're at is incredibly transient. So we've had to, we've learned that we've got, we've got John Smith and I'll just go ahead and say this. We've, we've, we've kind of caricatured a person who might come to Veritas, right? And we, we call him Veritas Vic or or Veritas Vinny (laughs) or something like that. And so if, if, if Vic comes to Veritas on day one, Statistics tell us that we have 750 days with them. And so 2.4 years, they're going to statistics say on average, that's how long people stay in Washington, D.C. 
Wow. So it's incredibly changing. Three years, our church has turned over already. Um, you know, it's it's been amazing how we've probably sent 75 people out that have left our church and moved to back home, you know, abroad, different states, whatever. So we're, so, so we've kind of had, you know, we've had to think about discipleship a little bit differently. We're a little bit more programmed in our discipleship approach right now than I would want to be mm-hmm. if, if I were just in a normal suburban context, um, because we gotta, we have to go quicker. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so for us, just, you know, make, disciple making disciples in, in discipleship formation is kind of the, you know, the, the, the two sides of the same coin here. Right. So, so as we're, as we're trying to flesh out how we make disciples at Veritas, um, basically what we've done is uh, it's not a fail proof system. Um, but again, like I mentioned a minute ago, we shifted all of our groups to being discipleship focused now and uh, and all of our groups go through um, basically five different cohorts per year. Hmm. So each cohort is is two months and it's everything from, you know, personal spiritual disciplines, how to read your Bible, how to pray, how to memorize scripture, those types of things, to how to share your faith, to uh, basics of biblical theology, basics of apologetics, to um, basics of what is a healthy church, what is a healthy church member. Uh, so a lot of what we might call discipleship formation side of the coin, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of where we've been placing our emphasis over the last year is building out those cohorts and, and, and basically saying as a staff, as a team and as elders, I mean, if we if, if on average we got 750 days with, with, with Veritas Vic, we want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, we shepherded and discipled and pastored, um, the best that we possibly could in those 750 days. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes our context a little bit unique yeah. uh, where we kind of have to do discipleship in a microwave and leadership development in a microwave a little, you know, yeah. a little bit faster than we want to, um, you know, but, but that's kind of our, our, our approach to it right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I wish we could, we could, we could go a lot slower and, and do things a little bit different and maybe we will learn that we can do that. Right. But, um, but that, but that's our approach, you know, as it stands right now. Yeah. I think what stands out to me, besides the fact that your average church person's there for less than two and a half years, which man, that's gotta be so hard as a church plant. Number one. Um, but, oh, it's exhausting. Cause we, you know, it, that part with, with, at sure. center point, we have a lot of college students, but even then we have them for four years and sometimes they stick around, but man, two and a, two, <laughs> less than two and a half years is wild. But what stands out even more than that is just the, uh, intention, like an intentionality of like defining what you want that disciple to be. Like, I love, I love the idea about the cohorts. I think that's really cool. Um, but even, even with that, like that, those cohorts don't have as much power. I'm sure if you don't define what the disciple should look like at the end of it, at the, whether it's the end of that 2.4 years, or if it's at the end of, um, the end of just like, you know, as they, as they're walking with the Lord, just that, that defining characteristic of discipleship. I think that's really good, man. One of the books that uh, really changed our discipleship culture um, was uh, Will Mancini's book, Church Unique. Hmm. And it's not, it's not necessarily a discipleship book, but what Mancini does in that book is talk about 
what makes your church unique in its specific context. And he takes you through in that book, a whole exercise that you can take your team and your staff through Mm -hmm. on how to develop a vision, you know, that is unique for you, unique for your team, unique for your context, unique for your church and how that flushes out. And that, that's kind of where the intentionality for our discipleship strategy came from yeah. was, was really birthed out of, of that book. And so if, if anyone is listening and hasn't, and hasn't had a, uh, um, or hasn't read church unique by Mancini, um, man, I, I think it's a great, a great book to go through with your team, hmm. uh, because it's going to draw out some of those questions of, of uniqueness for your context. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the church is not cookie cutter, uh, you know, programs and methodologies and those types of things. Um, you know, the, the baseline of faithfulness is what we're all after, right? The, the, the things that we do as a church every single day, preach the gospel, shepherd our people, engage in mission, love the nations, etc. cetera. Uh, but we're all doing that specifically in unique contexts. And, Mm-hmm. And so that that's been so helpful for us just as we've, you know, we've tried to flesh out our discipleship strategy. Mm, that's good. I'll put that in the, in the show notes. I've I'd heard about that book before, but that's really cool to see how that kind of shaped uh, a lot of your discipleship strategy and your discipleship vision. So yeah, definitely, definitely want to include that uh, for our listeners yeah. to get a hold of. Um, so thinking about leadership now, uh, what's one of the best leadership lessons that you've ever learned? Man, I think... Leadership is a tricky thing for me personally. I I kind of lean there. I love talking about leadership, reading about leadership. Um, and there's a million leadership principles, you know, that we could constantly live in and live by. Um, but I think I think for me personally, the the biggest leadership principle that I live by is that I have to lead myself first. Hmm. And, and I think everything else then flows from that. Hmm. Right. And, you know, and I, and, and, you know, there, there's a million concepts and many books that we could, could read on leadership and they're all helpful to some extent and look at leadership through different lenses and at different angles. But for me, that's so important. And, and I think when I see, other people, men or women trying to do that, lead, leading themselves, trying to lead themselves well. Right. And, and, and that, that could look like many different things, right. That could, that could look like I'm trying to lead myself well, um, you know, personally in health, uh, you know, physically and, and how I'm sleeping and how I'm eating, how I'm exercising spiritually with the disciplines that I'm, that I'm doing. Uh, but I think that's that's got to be where we start, right? Mm-hmm. And um, because what what's going to happen then is if you're leading yourself first, you're going to be leading yourself ultimately to the vine, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's that's what we're after as as leaders, especially pastors who were leaders. We want to be living in John 15, that reality that uh, everything that we do, the fruit that we produce, um, the joy that we have right for the work and for life and the other see um, all comes from, you know, our attachment, you know, to, to Christ. And, uh, and, and so I, that, that for me is, is where I live. 
um, trying to lead myself well first. And then, and then out of that, be someone that others want to follow. So kind of in a similar vein, uh, what's, what's one of the best pieces of leadership advice you've been given, whether it's from uh, a mentor or, you know, just, just some other, some other source, but what's a, what's a good piece of leadership advice that you've been given? Man, a good piece of leadership advice that I have been given. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I think one is kind of surrounding myself, you know, in, in my role as husband and, and dad, you know, which is, is uh, I had a guy tell me one time as we were thinking and praying through church planting and, you know, where we were going to move to and where we're going to move our family. Um, and it's always stuck with me. He, you know, he, he just kind of looked at me and said, Greg, go where you could feel like you can have the greatest impact on uh, the world for the gospel. Um, but where that also matches where your family can also flourish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that has stuck with me um, kind of through all of ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. And I get there's 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 things that, that God calls people to where, you know, I don't know, like Jim or uh, William Carey style missions where you go and you have like 16 wives because all 15 of them die because of hardship. Right. Um, you know, but but I think for for us, I think that's, you know, really important where where I'm at. Right. Is we're in D.C. and we're trying to do what we can. And but I'm, I'm kind of I'm trying to always have a pulse on where my family is and how my family's flourishing in this context, right? Because, yes, because, because I think, you know, as you're leading yourself, yeah, that's, that's important, but, but, but your family's going to kind of be your, your second tier, you know, leadership arena. Hmm. And, uh, and I think that's, that's gotta be something that, that plays itself out every single day. So I don't know if that's a, a leadership advice or more of a no, it's good. Kind of yeah, advice, but, well, uh, but know, we're gonna go with it. it. It's leadership advice in the sense that that's a really healthy balance that I think that um, I, I think would be really helpful for a lot of people to to learn and to kind of you know take hold of because uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, when I think about like even my my own leadership, I think that's a really good principle and framework to kind of think through and, and base it on, you know, like, uh, to think through how both God's like, you know, you want to utilize your life for the gospel and for the most effectiveness you can. But at the same time, like, you know, your wife and your family are just are right there with you. So you want to be able to kind of hit, hit both of those arenas and have in, in some sense, uh, you know, one foot in both of those camps to really be able yeah, to, to flourish well. Um, yeah. So just to close us out, what's, what are some books or resources that have really shaped your leadership? Man, I, I think, um, I think for me, when it comes to, when it comes to leadership, um, good to great has been a book that has, has shaped, uh, kind of my leadership of Veritas. And, um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm, I'm sure you are, but yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is a great leadership book. Um, man, I, I think uh, le- the leadership lessons of Jesus is also a great book. Um, 
one book that I just read recently is a book by Leonard Sweets um, that really uh, challenged me when it came to uh, just how I'm, I'm leading when I'm connected to the vine of Christ, right? We mentioned that a minute ago and, and, and what that means, um, you know, for us. And uh, I think Leonard Sweet is probably not a name that we want to throw around too much. I think he may have gone to the emerging church world um, a little bit, but, but his, his book on, on leadership is, is incredible. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, I think it's important to, to kind of, you know, be honest about what you're reading and what you're being influenced by even now. Um, and you know, really in, in my life, the, the most influential books are the books that I'm currently re- reading. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, I'm reading a book. I'm reading, Reading a ton of you know secular leadership books, kind of through this uh, uh, you know season of of being cooped up in in my house. But um, one of the books that's influencing me a ton right now is uh, Principles, the book Principles um, by Ray Dalio, and uh, and and that's a a pretty hefty book. Um, the guy ran a hedge fund in in New York City for for years and. Um, but he just talks about how you can develop principles for everything that you do, right? Mm. So, and they kind of serve as guardrails for, for your family, for your work, for your, for our purposes, for our church and our ministry, uh, and for your leadership. And, and, uh, and, and so that's a book right now that I'm devouring. Mm. And so I don't know if you've, if you've read that, but I would recommend mm. principles by Ray Dalio. Yeah, that's well. cool. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that book. I've, you know, I'll, we'll put all this in our show notes for our listeners to be able to to find direct links to. But yeah, those those sounds those sound like some some great resources, both uh, from a Christian perspective and also a more secular perspective that we can glean those principles yeah. from. So that sounds that's awesome. I, I mean, there's a ton of leadership books out there, right? Anything yeah. by Patrick Lencioni is incredible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, anything right now. I mean, by Simon Sinek is good. Leaders eat last. Start with why. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, if, if, if you haven't read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, I mean, that's like 40, 50, 60 years old. Mm-hmm. You, you got to start there. Um, you know, I, I think so. There's there's a million things. And, and weirdly, Graham, I've been influenced. I don't know. Do you know the name Jocko? Jocko Willick right now? I'm not familiar. No. All right. You got to listen to Jocko, the Jocko podcast. Okay. He's, a, he's a former Navy SEAL. Wow. Who wrote the book Extreme Ownership, How Navy Seals Lead and Win, and it is incredible. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Potentially parental discretion advised. So I'll just okay. to that. I won't be reading to my baby then, so that's uh, <laughs> that'll be good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Greg, man, thank you so much for sharing uh, just some, some great, great resources to look into, some really cool uh, look behind behind the curtain of, of what you guys are doing in a really really unique context. I think what what you've described besides uh, I had a guy that was uh, from from Malawi on a few episodes ago. Um, yeah. But uh, besides that, th- your your context seems to be one of the most unique ones out there, and so it's cool to see how you guys are engaging that and how. Uh, there's a lot of transferable principles to any ministry context that the people can take away with and be encouraged and inspired by. So Greg, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate your time and really, really cool to see what God's doing uh, through you and through your church. 
Absolutely, Graham. It was an honor to be with you. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe, share, and rate so that others can be impacted as well. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at GCLPod. And join us again next week for another episode of the Great Commission Leadership Podcast.